0: Future of Film Summit is taking place at BFI Southbank on 26th of November, and tickets are now on general sale at futureoffilm.live. Film has undergone massive disruption in recent years, and the old business models and structures are just not working anymore. But there are now incredible new opportunities too. Transformative technologies cutting-edge commercial strategies and creative techniques that are literally revolutionising the entire film ecosystem. Future of Film Summit is designed for filmmakers, producers and industry who want to understand these shifts and learn how to incorporate them into their creative and business practice. The Summit will feature incredible world-class speakers from across film, tech, and interactive, including creative players behind works like Star Wars Episode Nine, Ad Astra, and Black Mirror Bandersnatch. And that includes visionary designer Alex Medow, VFX legend Tim Webber, and award-winning artist Karen Palmer. But The Summit is not just about big Hollywood movies and TV shows. It's about independent filmmakers taking advantage of these same tools and techniques, and how you and they can unlock new forms of finance and brand funding. There are also hosts of exciting hands-on learning opportunities with demos of the latest tech, including the chance to experience Magic Leap and intensive workshops on virtual production, well-building and much more. And if that's not enough, we will be hosting the Brand Pitch Create competition where you can pitch your project to a panel of brand funding experts. So that's Future of Film Summit, 26th of November. More information and tickets available now at futureoffilm.live. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to be part of shaping the future of film. Coming up in today's Film Disruptors.
1: I believe, I really do believe, if you know what you're making or building from the start, then you're not doing this right at all. Like you should actually let the process surprise you, um, take risks and be open to and diverge, iterate and then converge and, you know, to what finally feels right. And that's that's what I truly believe. And it's like a rinse and repeat kind of process. And you will end up somewhere new uh, that you didn't expect at all, but it'll, it'll be beautiful. And it's the best incarnation of your vision.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to Film Disruptors Season 3. My name is Alex Stoltz and this is the podcast where I share insights and strategies from the trailblazers who are shaping the future of film. And my guest today is Yasmin Elayat, who is an Emmy Award winning storyteller and entrepreneur whose work pushes the boundaries of immersive narrative and participatory experiences. Yasmin began her career in computer science but then, as she describes, pivoted to become a storyteller and later co-founder of the company Scatter, which is best described as a combination between tech startup and production company. Scatter and, and Yasmin are now pioneering the emerging language and technology of volumetric filmmaking, a process that can transform 2D capture of the real world into hologram-like, video game-like imagery, which can be viewed from any angle, manipulated, and has obvious artistic creative benefits for immersive storytelling and VFX. In 2017, Yasmin used these techniques to make Zero Days VR, which won the Emmy... Outstanding New Approach, to documentary. In this episode, we learn about Yasmin's career journey and how and why she decided to leave her day job to become an artist, including the story behind her influential project, 18 Days in Egypt. And Yasmin also explains how volumetric filmmaking opens up a whole new, as yet unwritten, language of storytelling. If you are enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there are a few ways to stay up to date. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify or any of your major podcast platforms. You can also sign up for updates at the home of Film Disruptors, which is alexstoltz.com, S-T-O-L-Z. Just enter your email to receive all the latest Film Disruptors news and episodes straight to your inbox. And this is also where you can access previous episodes, find out more about our featured guests, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening. And now please enjoy this conversation with Yasmin Alayat. And I started the show by asking Yasmin about how her pivotal project, 18 Days in Egypt," came about.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, as like a bit of a, a background, I have uh, an, a, a hybrid background, um, and I'm 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 an artist with a you know computer science degree and an art degree, and um, I worked for a long time as a software engineer and uh, I'd go home and animate or make, you know, make these, these mini little shorts at home. And so I always obviously was interested in storytelling. I just didn't think it was my career path. Um, and I was in New York. This is, um, I was in New York for uh, grad school, basically after I was working as a software engineer for multinationals in Egypt. Um, uh, I felt like, you know, that, I wasn't fulfilling or contributing to the world or, you know, uh, fully. You know, I don't know if you have that experience, or that feeling. I felt like my my voice was not just was not totally like a, uh, it was like half I was using half my 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 being. And so um, I came to New York in 2006, actually, to um, to come to this program called the Interactive Telecommunications Program at NYU and uh this program is uh it's essentially a program that is in the art school it's in tish but it's about using technology um uh for for art for as an artist as, as a medium for artistic practice and it was um a, an important uh, moment for me to uh go through this experience because i started to learn that uh what was most important to me was actually storytelling and I just knew how to build things. I understand how the possibilities of technology, and um, I'm a good engineer. But I wasn't excited about the creative potential of technology. I was excited about what I could use technology for. And ITP helped me kind of merge these two interests. And um, uh, it started. It started. I started becoming, you know, building this sort of hybrid artistic practice. Since then, and I would say from twenty six to 2000, you know, around this time to 2011, I was. Uh, working as a creative technologist, so I was still, you know, programming and building experiences, but I was also doing um, experience design and, you know, leading these projects that were focused on storytelling, but they were more in a um, um, ex- spatial experiences. They were experiential um, exhibits at cultural spaces like museums and and um, uh, you know corporate lobbies and things like that. Um, it was I was working at a company called Potion. And uh, it was, a, a, I started learning how to think about spatial storytelling since then. That's where I guess that started, that kind of career started. And it was all about using emerging technology for telling different stories. And obviously there, there are uh, stories that have to, we did, I did work on the you know, New York Public Library, the Museum of the Holocaust, and a bunch of other projects. And so, you, so it's, um, you know, the, the collection of types of, uh, the, the stories that you're that we're working on was you know pretty phenomenal. But um, in 2011, this is sort of like 2011, everything shifted for me. So I was working as this creative technologist and uh, I was in New York at the time and my family obviously is in Egypt. And I had this experience on you know, January 25th in 2011 when the revolution started Uh, I could not uh, find, you know, a news channel, like a proper, like CNN and everything. They were just not covering it. It was still not seen as, like, a revolution. I think it was seen as riots, or I don't even know if the word uprising was being used yet. and I just couldn't follow the story, and um, I'm sure you're aware there was also during this time the internet was shut down in Egypt, so I couldn't actually reach my family, and the only way I could experience this uh, amazing historical moment, you know, where basically a leaderless grassroots uh, uprising to topple 60 your dictatorship of a deep military state, you know, this is a phenomenal time, especially when opposition has been crushed and they you know, it's a politically stagnant country. Um, so I'm watching this. The only way I'm, I'm following it at events was through social media. I was following on people on Twitter and on YouTube and, um, and you know, all the various social and Facebook. Um, and. The this was how I actually experienced what was happening from people on the ground in their own voice, in their own media in real time. And this is how the story was unfolding for me. And um, at the time, uh, as I said, I was in New York and I had a friend who is um, he used to be a journalist at The New York Times. His name is Jigar Mehta. And Jigar and I, you know, we f- longtime friends. And we happened to be in Egypt visiting uh, my family, actually, just a few weeks earlier and before this before twenty-five, and so he was calling me just to check in and say hey how's your family how are, you, how are you experiencing this and then you know we were brainstorming and talking about um essentially how can how how can we make a documentary about what's happening right now like there's this something special is happening as, as i mentioned where people are documenting um uh the communities documenting this in real time and they're doing so using tools and mediums in ways that weren't built for this, you know, the way people are using Twitter, um, you know, Egyptians were using it in a very new way, in an innovative way to essentially tell um, the story that wasn't being told by any of the Western outlets or even the national media at the time. So it's very special, you know, and um, so we thought that, okay, then, you know, this idea of how can we make a crowdsourced documentary where um, people can write history, their own history, you know, like where a country can write its own history and the people on the ground can do that and um, not have, you know, the the government or official, you know, st- whatever it is, uh, whoever is the victor at the end of this rewrite it. And this has been historically in Egypt, uh, history has been Rewritten many times um, in history books, and so we thought that there was that's where the project started, and so um, we decided because of the idea spawned during the 18 days and um, of, of uh, the first 18 days, and obviously we were in the middle of it, so we didn't know how long this uh, was going to happen, this hour. and when Mubarak would be toppled. We also didn't know how long the revolution would continue, and um, all we knew is um, 18. Days, those 18 days represented. Something very special, something that was completely uh, driven by, the, as I said, like a community, and they were taking the lead, and they were their own storytellers. And so we thought that uh, the, the project was going to have the same ethos. And so the, the word, the name, 18 Days in Egypt," just made sense. It, it's the basis of our project. We were not going to be the filmmakers, but we needed to build a documentary that could empower a community and have them tell their stories in, you know, using their own medium and using their own voice in real time. Um, and that's that was the that's how this all started. And obviously I I had to live there. I had to be there. I had to build a team there. So I quit my job and moved there to, to, to build this project. And so um, uh, I moved there in 2011 and uh, it was uh, a fascinating time to, to live there from a personal level, obviously, as, as, a, as an Egyptian American and knowing about, you know, sort of like hearing all these stories I grew up to, you know, from my family, hearing about the oppression, the black cloud of living under a dictatorship and, and experiencing, seeing a, like a, a community that never saw their own streets as belonging to them to see this new ownership, this new kind of, uh, I don't know what to call it. It was like this golden era in, in, in Cairo at this time where people just were, there was like um, a different type of mood. It was, you know, uh, excitement. There was ambition. There was people, you know, giving back, people building these kind of initiatives, these, um, uh, whether it's activism or cinema, these new art collectives and art art initiatives, new art spaces. It was just like, there was kind of like, it really was this like a little, a a bit of a renaissance, even from an artistic perspective, not just political. Um, And so it was just a phenomenal time because we didn't want it to be a project about just the news. It's not about the headlines. It was about really people people like you are the, like you as an individual are the hero of the story and what's your personal experience. And we wanted heartfelt stories stories. And, and that was the the goal of the project. And that's um, how it worked. And, um, you know, like when you think about how documentary is meant to be a uh, document, something that happened, you know, happened and you're, you craft a story of what happened, you know, in the editing room, the whole focus of this project was how do you tell um, a documentary that's telling the, the story in real time that's raw, you know, it's happening at this moment. And, that's um so we built a platform it was a collaborative storytelling platform and people could uh tell um, their stories using a variety of different media together so it's kind of like a multimedia visual storytelling platform they could collaboratively tell stories together um we built something that didn't exist there wasn't this way to do what we wanted to do and we tried a bunch of different prototypes and in the end we built a a platform um to power this to um, you know, when it worked, it was beautiful. It was personal stories. It was stories beyond the headlines. And um, obviously, as you know, things in Egypt didn't go as planned. And, uh, uh, you know, the project kind of... Um, uh, actually, I'll say one thing before I talk about <laughs> the downfall of what happened in Egypt. But um, something that's important to talk about is uh, this project started, as I said, it happened in 2011. But it also happened at a time when these types of projects didn't fit in a box. And, why that's important is, um, you know, I, I I quit my job and we were like looking for any type of documentary funding, but we kept getting no's, no's, no's. No one would fund this project because it didn't fit in the box. It didn't make sense. It was web-based. It was also, there's no director. There wasn't a set story. Since we're saying this is living and ongoing, we don't know when this revolution would end. So we needed to be this ongoing documentary and we can't control it. You know, it had to be, we had to be shepherds, not the directors. And... Um, What happened in 2011 were two special things where we had two institutions, Sundance and Tribeca, uh, for the first time in 2011, uh, show through, uh, Uh, investments, like that they were going to start supporting this type of work. So in 2011, um, Sundance started the New Frontier Lab, which we were part of that inaugural class and where I met Kamal Sinclair, actually, Um, and uh, also Tribeca uh, via Ingrid Kopp, who is the director of it and now who is, you know, obviously the um, curator of Storyscapes at Tribeca Film Festival and heads the director of um, Immersive um, Electric South right now in South Africa. Ingrid Kopp at the time uh, really believed in this and she st- built the first ever fund for New Media and that was the New Media Fund uh, that was uh, Tribeca Film Institute and Just Films and Ford Foundation. And we were luckily the recipients of that money. So I don't actually know how this project would have been made if that timing wasn't so well, <laughs> it coinc- you know, that coincidence of timing. Um, we didn't have know that this was going to happen at that year and we were bootstrapping, but I would say that's the only reason this project was able to survive is like, these institutes, the leaders of, you know, these storytelling, like um, gatekeepers and supporters of independent artists saw value in letting people, even if this is new frontier or unknown, and we don't actually know where these projects should live, they believe that there should be support and, uh, and space and funding and a foundation for this type of work. Um, and that was what was a huge pivotal moment for me, because then me as an artist and my strange, you know, technology and, you know, storytelling blend of how i work you know just now i had a now i had a tribe now i had a home now you know it it, it wasn't such a hmm. weird thing to be doing anymore
0: hmm. well it sounds like a, I mean it's an amazing story and it sounds like so many things aligned <laughs> to, for that to to happen and to to actualize i mean not only your you your training and your decision to move from tech just tech, you know, into creative storytelling, um, but also, well, obviously this huge, huge monumental event, and then the the emergence, I guess, of these the, these funds, and uh, and that led to you know quite a significant leap of faith, I guess, from your perspective. You quit quit your job and uh, decided to to relocate to Egypt, and that must have been. I mean, that must have been a bit scary at the time, or did it did it not feel that way?
1: Um, it's interesting. I didn't. It didn't feel like um, uh, the leap of faith. Everyone thought I was a bit crazy. I mean, my parents were like, "You're, <laughs> you're. What are, how are you going to make money? You <laughs> know, like, why are yeah, you? Right. What are you? And you're coming to a revolution, and you're leaving a great job in New York, and you know, you went to yeah. grad school for this, and um, so I, everyone didn't understand it, but I, I. I definitely, uh, um, the way I work is it's very intuitively, there's something there's like, you know, I think most, there's most part of the artists or storytellers, like there's something you really need to do and, or a story you need to tell. Um, and there's no stopping you. And I think I just, at the moment felt like, even if I didn't have it figured out, I knew I had to do this and I had to do it this moment of time. And I was ready also. Like I, as I said, I keep feeling like I haven't been able to use my voice. Um, you know, and everything has been about these random career dots and points, you know, and um, uh, maybe they didn't seem to lead in one direction, but uh, this felt like the step in the right direction. um, And that's all I knew. And that was enough to take that leap of faith. And but also it was an exciting time in mean, Egypt, even though it is political and there was violence. And yes, there were times that were really hard and scary. And, you know, I, you, I got used to APCs, you know, in the streets. I got used to helicopters. You get used to like checkpoints and like, you know, curfews and having to go. It's like, you know, it's a strange way to live. Obviously, it's not normal. But it's also, um, as I said, there was a whole cultural renaissance and it was a beautiful time there. And and. Um, some of my most amazing collaborations happened during this time and uh there was something just special happening in this moment that you can't create and um and i think that's that that's just i, I don't know it's a uh, i'm grateful for that experience
0: sounds amazing uh and and in, inspiring i think for anyone out there who has harbors um you know, create more creative ambitions and uh, storytelling ambitions, and uh, and it, like you say, you don't you don't have to see the uh, the, the whole ladder. Yeah, <laughs> you just need to see the first few rungs or something. I think that's a, a, a quote, but um, uh, that's that's really exciting. What would you say is the legacy of eighteen days in Egypt as a conceptual? Uh, piece of storytelling or as a platform has that idea of participatory documentary been taken up uh, as much as you you'd hoped or 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 where where would you say that sort of exists now if it if it does
1: yeah that's a great question and um it's it's interesting it's um it's a it's uh pre-immersive media you know web was the 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 technology because it had the reach, it had the, um, there was an ecosystem and accessibility, and you could do a lot, obviously. Um, And there was a whole, I would say, for 18 days specifically, I think it, what the promise of 18 days was, as I said, like being this, uh, trying this thing where you can enable a community to own their own story and our country, write their own history. That, like, you know, the idea is before memory, you lose your memory or hard drives crash or you, I don't know, phones, whatever technology. The idea was to uh, uh, collect all of this and the moment that you actually feel it and experience it so that 10 years later or 20 years later, you can come back and and remember, you know, how it really felt and how it happened. Um, and that was always the, the ethos behind it. that was always the goal. And uh, the way we approached it, you know, like um, I think the MIT doc lab and ITFA called it like, um, you know, a moment of innovation for a participatory documentary. And I know there's been other types of crowdsourced documentary and, and things like that. Um, it, 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 you know, so there was times where there was like the, the there, as a as a concept I'd say it was successful but then there's also um, when you talk about the legacy there's also uh, it's there's also problems with this type of project you know there isn't really um, for example like because it's uh, as I mentioned it's a project that's about the raw real time what this means is we're not in control and so we're at the mercy of current events and external factors, would affect a project like this. And so things like the mood of the community. So when the Brotherhood took power and Morsi took power, it just became harder for us to operate because, you know, the country was kind of divided and dejected and they just there just wasn't they, they weren't in the mood, you know. And then there was also just the politics of operating on the ground and starting to become dangerous for we had a, an outreach team that was on the ground. Since this is a community project, you have to have community outreach. And it just felt harder harder and more dangerous for our our team on the ground to operate and so we had to stop that and um you know and so forth and so forth and th- at one time also we got like a d de- like a, a, a an attack um they attacked or t- took down the website not sure who but you know <laughs> we can guess maybe i don't know i don't know who who attacked so there's um and then in the end of all of this also it's like uh uh, when you run out of money, this is a project that's like being hosted. It's like independent artists. It, there's costs to that. So it's just the maintenance of those costs. And um, the thing that's actually the, the most um, uh, interesting uh, I'm sure a lot of other arch- archival or document based documentary projects have this, uh, this issue, but it's um, uh, when can you say this project is complete? Like I, if, if it was meant to be an ongoing documentary, it should still should it still be continuing till today. And um, and also the other part of it is if uh, part of our policy as to protect our our users and storytellers, we we had to respect that if someone decided to take something down like a video, YouTube or a post from Facebook to protect themselves, that we would respect it and remove it from our site. And at the time, it made sense. And now from an archival perspective, we're actually losing Parts of our collection, you know, we there's gaps, digital gaps in the story, you know, because people put took things down or erased things, and um, and so that's just the nature of this project. It's, it it was um, I would say innovative at its time, but it also came with a lot of complexity and introduced new th- problems to how we archive, restore, and and save this work. And I'm sure a lot of people had the same issues, but it's um um I would say uh, at least I would say it's it. The idea still stands. It's still poignant, and people still can come back. And especially now, when there's like, a, as I said, this collective amnesia and people forgetting actually what, what it was like in 2011 and, and you know that early time and really the reality on the ground. People are rewriting it already now, and it's happened before 10 years. You know, it's happened much quicker than I thought. So I, I would say, at least from that perspective and our intentions, we did what we set out to do. But we just also faced a few obstacle, a lot of obstacles that we weren't expe- expecting because it's um, something we didn't know how this would all. Can
0: out yeah yeah uh, i i yes that's what <laughs> when you're doing something new and and radical like that it, it, i guess is things are gonna pop up and but what about for you so this was this was i think you described it earlier as a pivot for you in terms of your career and where you were and there was there was your career before 18 days in Egypt and your career after 18 days in Egypt and so tell me what how you you personally took this experience and you took this uh project and, and where you went next
1: yeah um yeah, it was a pivotal moment for me because I think I realized something. This was the first project where I didn't code. You know, I was actually a director. I was a co-creator. And, and I think that was already a, a shift for me where I realized, oh, me in this role and having my background, my technical background, I have a actually it's a it was a huge. I learned that I kind of have this. Uh, uh, a, a, a a benefit actually to where I, I, because I know the technical possibilities or I don't feel constrained by technology. I actually find that it, I, I, you know, if it doesn't exist, we can build it because we really need to achieve this creative vision. And I learned that through this project, like it, if it doesn't exist, we're going to build it. It's okay. We built a whole platform, you know, like, a, um, and I think, uh, uh, what I, I mean, to be, to be, it it also, I realized like, um, I am a storyteller. Like it doesn't matter if it's like, I'm a programmer or if if I like to build technology or if I'm tech native, like the main thing was I learned that like what has been driving me, even the reason I learned to code as a kid was like, I build websites. I can share my short stories and my poetry. So I was always a storyteller. I think I just realized that, um, uh, for some reason I felt like technology was the way to achieve anything I wanted and um, it felt very empowering I would say like for me as, a, as an artist and a, and a director and um, uh, since since 18 days I mean I had to take to be honest I had to take a bit of a break from that project because it was uh, uh, hard <laughs> for it to, 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 to end where it ended or pause where it paused so I decided to just work on I was doing storytelling projects but I was working in different forms while I was still in Egypt before coming back to New York I was working in the street I was like I need to have a conversation with people. And I'm operating in a country where there's like low, you know, net penetration, it's 30%. So I need to be making my work in the street. It has to be public, it has to be in the street. And so I was doing a variety of collaborations with various artists from, you know, street artist, uh, Genzir, who's really, you know, a very popular street artist. And we would do interactive street installations um, that were political, but it was conversation starters. And then we, I, you know, I collaborated with this um, collective of uh, storytellers and uh, thespians musicians and designers and set designers to create this traveling storytelling box like a rary show or peep show like but we kind of brought it to this mod to a modern sense with you know holograms and projection map puppets and um all this stuff and um and it was about how to how to bring magic to the streets of cairo how to bring a layer of surrealism to the everyday lives and the stories even that we were telling were stories that were um gathered from the community but we just added this like magical realist layer and i was we'd hope that um you know that's almost like a way of creating a a form of augmented reality for these kids i hope like where they can see their same streets and their same environments but with this new layer that we brought through storytelling um and so that was what i was doing i I needed a break and that was just a beautiful i think way for me to, to to take a break was to do this to give back in that way, um, um, however, um, I had to I had to come back to New York. I was starting to feel restless in Egypt, and um, even though I felt like I was doing meaningful work and contributing uh, to the community. I'm also someone who, as you probably can tell, thrives on being on the cutting edge of like technology and what's next and new mediums and so I think I was starting to get restless and I needed to kind of see what was next for me. And um, there's a bit of a problem with accessibility in Egypt. There are hurdles. It's not easy to get access to new technology or um, unfortunately, you know, like that's kind of the problem with Africa and being based in Africa. And so uh, it was time to take another leap. Um, and. That brings me why I came back to New York essentially at the end of 2014.
0: You're listening to Film Disruptors and I'm in conversation with storyteller Yasmin Alayat. If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And was that when Scatter... Began. How did, t- tell me about Scatter and what the, the mission of that company is and I guess how you, how you came about starting it.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, Scatter is a, we're a creative company or a hybrid company, and we um, our mission is to define uh, this emerging discipline that we are calling volumetric filmmaking. It's our term. And um, what volumetric filmmaking means to us is it's the um, um, it's a way of um, it's a creative medium. We want to be able to combine the narrative power of filmmaking um, uh, with and marrying it with. Game engine interactivity. So um, the idea is volumetric filmmaking is a way to capture real people and real stories and real places um, uh, and invite audiences inside the, the 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 world these virtual worlds where the these stories can take place. And um, I like to think of it as translating the real world. And I'll tell I can explain how you know the three of us came together. But essentially. Um, uh, the, you know, volumetric filmmaking is about tr- translating the real world. It's about capturing people around you, human performance um, environments, and um, translating it to, you know, as I said, to the, the power and flexibility of a, of a game engine. What I mean is, like, then, you know, the sky's the limit with the possibilities, narratively, experientially, interactively. Um, and we can, you know, dive into that a little more. But how... Um, uh, Scatter started uh, essentially. Scatter, as I said, is a hybrid company. I should explain what we do to explain how it all started. But we do two things. We build a tool called DepthKit, Kit, which is a um, an accessible, uh, low cost volumetric capture solution, which allows you to capture you know humans in 3D um, to add into these environments. And then we also are uh, defining what volumetric filmmaking is. And so what we do is we're making content. You know, we're building, we make projects. So from like a uh, like Zero Days and Blackout and, you know, these projects where I can talk about more, but we're trying to show the potential and keep pushing. So every project we do is like has to push this discipline forward in some way because we want to inspire, but we also want to educate, you know, like if we're saying this is a new medium, we need to show the possibilities of this new medium. Um, and everything about what we're doing is about democratizing the means of the creation. So, you know, a lot of other startups will make technology, but only keep it in house so they have the edge. And that is completely against what we believe in. And we want uh, to make things easier and more accessible, lower costs. We want diversity in creators. We want diversity in voices. We want people in Africa or Egypt, you know, who have no access to stuff that they actually, they can get started with off the shelf hardware they can get that they have. And they, and we're building workflows that are leveraging existing video production and post-production workflows. So it's actually a lower learning curve. Um, and so that's uh, our mission, even in the, probably even the projects we take on, you'll see that our projects are pretty, um, uh, they're topical. They're always relevant to st- stories that we think are super important to today. And they also um, are um um, hopefully, hopefully about representing different uh, uh, voices and different perspectives, and um, we also are very, very, very invested in our community, uh, the Death Kit creators or volumetric filmmaking community, and so we have uh, a one a lot of wonderful like kind of initiatives that are around the community, and one is. Um, Uh, Simply that we we have, you know, these like channels and communication channels where uh, everyone is connected and and, uh, sharing work and, you know, it's like a pretty tight knit. But we also lead an event, a quarterly event called the volumetric filmmakers um event and one is coming up on tuesday actually july 23rd that is going to be volumetrically streamed of course uh, using dev kit and so anyone can watch it around the world but um, we uh, we do this meetup to sort of it's about growing the pie we invite competitors we invite artists it's it's not about us it's about you know like let's build this field let's see where this can go since it's so nascent and so young and it needs to be about growing the pie and educating people. And it's been, it's been, uh, it's been great. It's free people. It sells out. People love it. And um, it's, uh, yeah, so it's all part of our mission. It's like, we need to, we like, we need to tell stories and all of us build tools, as you can tell, I, I come and I can explain about my partners, but like I, I built a platform to, to tell us stories. And I think we all have the kind of this, the same mission where it's about like this orientation towards community, this orientation towards uh, mission and values and having a company that really adheres to the, to that. And um, the way Scatter started, essentially, it's a, uh, it's sort of like, it's almost like My two business partners, Alexander Porter and James George, um, were longtime artistic collaborators here in New York, and they're part of the sort of same community I I was a part of. I just didn't know them at the time because I was in Egypt, but, you know, the ITP, New Media, you know, these artists, technologists, hybrid uh, community, and um, they were here part of like, you know, iBeam and New Inc. and um, they were building, starting 2011, actually, they were starting to sort of... Well, you know, Alexander comes from a photography background and James is a computer scientist, artist. And they were interested in what is the future of photography? What is the future of um, what they were calling, uh, coining as uh, computational photography? And at the time, they were playing around with cameras, plus this, you know, uh, X, this, you know, gaming console at the time. It's called, you know, the Xbox Connect. You know, it was made for people to play games at, in their houses, you know. And they were using uh, this Connect, which allows you to, you know, it's a, it was a very cheap hardware that you can, capture your depth your skeleton you know and um they were combining these two methods to sort of explore and they were doing these photographs and these prints and they were exploring this new medium and at the time they're building essentially what became an open source tool called rgb toolkit and there was a huge community around this tool this open source tool and i i have heard of it obviously as i said this is kind of my world so i'd heard of this tool um and then also i i um uh, a few years after 18 Days in Egypt sort of did the festival rounds and, and all of that, uh, a new project came out that was also part of um, the same world, the TFI New Media World, and it was at Storyscapes, and that was the Clouds documentary. And that was uh, co-directed by James George and Jonathan Menard and James ended up becoming my business partner today. And the reason it's significant is that it was one of the first VR pieces I saw, and it's how I learned about James. And uh, that project spoke to me because it was like I felt like I I could see – a very like-minded individual and someone with the same type of practice. He's also a computer scientist. He made this documentary that is not a traditional documentary. It was like a documentary in in VR where you meet um, the the creative coding community, so artists that use code as their medium. And um, while you're meeting these interviews, being shot with DepthKit or the early version of DepthKit at the time, as I said, it was still RGB toolkit. Um, but he was obviously building this tool to be able to capture people in this way. Um, so he used it building tools in order to achieve the creative vision, but also um, um, the experiences you are, um, it, you get immersed into, in this 3d environment, in the actual code that people, you know, that these artists write. So they wrote code to represent their, you know, and, and the, so you're, it was just this convergence of art and, and form, you know, convergence. And I was just like, this is, this is, you know, I, it, it spoke to me. And so, um, we met when I was, I moved to here and to New York. And when I first met James, it was just, um, I think it was, inevitable that we would end up working together, I would say just a very like-minded individuals. And he introduced me to Alexander and his business partner. And, um, I didn't actually work with them until two years later. So, um, it was around 2016 where, um they decided to productize RDB toolkit so moving away from an open source toolkit to uh building a product because to build a product i'm you know, i'm sure as you know cuz you're part of a startup there there's there's um it's not a simple it's not a simple way of working it's a very different working than projects or like being a services company or a production company you know there there's um there's maintenance there's quality assurance there's uh user understanding and testing there's um you know there's just a different way of Uh, Taking the product lifecycle is just a different cadence to how you work. And also, um, uh, you know, this is a complicated problem to solve. How do you build a high end volumetric capture solution um, that's actually so low cost and affordable for people and just uses, as I said, off the shelf? cameras and, and and depth sensors and we're com- to compete against the, like high end, you know, stages that cost like several tens of thousands of dollars for just a few minutes of capturing. That's what we're competing with. Um, so they were, um, starting to, you know, as I said, build this, become a startup and build this product. And at the time, um, I was freelance actually at the time I was producing a, uh, another virtual reality project. My first virtual reality project that I was working on, it was a producer called traveling while black, which was, um, Roger Ross Williams was the director on and so i was fundraising and you know we funded that project i was working on this other project but then I, you know i'm sitting there in this in this you know basement with these guys and they're building a new, new emerging technology and i am a storyteller that loves to use emerging technology so i just was like i had this aha moment i was like oh my gosh why am i working on other projects i can i can use depth kit to make films you know i can i can do this i can build i can build like the studio arm of this or i can um Uh, start, uh, you know, showing the possibilities of what volumetric filmmaking can be. And they both asked me, are you even interested in a startup? Do you even want to build a team? Do you want to build this? And I I didn't mention to them that I actually was an entrepreneur, too. (laughs) Like, you know, like they didn't know that about me. And um, I think uh, it's a rare kind of hybrid maybe to be an artist, but also an entrepreneur. So I was excited. I wanted to to build this hybrid company. It appealed to me. The values appealed to me. It was, um, you know, aligned mission, both of us. And, you know, it's what I do and so it just felt like a natural uh partnership and that's where the new the kind of reincarnation of Scatter as this hybrid company happened in that you know the early summer of 2016 and i i think we just happened to each other for luck it wasn't planned it was just we happened to each other <laughs> um and that was how it started and that was um which led to our first project which was zero days vr we
0: mm. well uh i definitely want to talk about zero days uh, of course um the the artist entrepreneur thing is really interesting this on this show we typically the, the the guests are typically artists or entrepreneurs everyone's a bit entrepreneurial i guess but um but i think you might be the first one where you know first guest where combining both of those disciplines and i think that's that's, that's fascinating i have a couple of very basic questions about volumetric, So please please indulge me of course. Uh, so, because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm catching up on, uh, on, on all of this stuff. So, uh, this is this is primarily would be for immersive storytelling, like for AR and VR. That's where it really is effective. Is that so, correct?
1: So, what you're asking is actually a really good question because uh, it's actually not not the case, and maybe we need to uh, represent this better. Ah, it's um, okay. Um, it is. It is. So it we it is. Uh, so volumetric uh capture volumetric filmmaking is just the ability of obviously capturing uh the world as it is in in three dimensions so this is how our world exists um and our process as i said is like in a in a workflow that is exactly the video production post-production workflow and so what that means is even though um the way of capturing is in three dimensions it is using regular cameras and our software then um can output it in too many ways, so the the publishing method is kind of uh, very flexible. So, um, DepthKit has been used by uh, motion studios and VFX specialists like Territory Studio that worked on used it used DepthKit as um, in their feature film uh, called AXL to represent the vision system of a robotic dog. It was used by Alex Gibney actually in the feature film Zero Days where he needed a way to anonymize an NSA informant, his kind of like kind of uh, key character that was sharing the hidden story the, you know, t- that, um, uh, that, you know, that uh, that's, you know, that's supposed to be kind of be- like she can't reveal the sources. And so he needed use death get as a way to as a VFX tool in the feature film to anonymize this informant in a way that would, um, felt native to the language of code, you know, uh, close to the, the subject matter of the, of the film. Um, also it's been used by an, in, in rap, uh, sorry, in Eminem's, like Eminem has two different music videos where he used DepthKit as like a VFX tool. So this is all 2d and he used it as like, um, um, in the, in the like, for example, in rap God and, um, uh but but also because it is 3D and volume and immersive immersive media is you know uh, virtual reality and mixed reality and augmented reality um it it obviously uh, is all about building 3D worlds and immersive worlds that you know you're, you can invite your audience in it just also works just beautifully it is like built for this future but um, we also acknowledge that this future is still nascent you know still it's still Uh, young, um, still growing and still being defined. And so um, it is actually very important for us that our, our our, our tool speaks to both immersive creators and these new XR studios and creative studios, but also... It just speaks to documentary filmmakers and you know other cinematographers and um that's the that's how we build it and and you know when we invite filmmakers traditional filmmakers to come to our studio they actually have this aha moment when we show them how it works where they're like oh uh they get it because they they can translate the the workflow exactly to their own work and it it actually connects and makes sense and i would say um uh it's all very intentional so this has been very intentional in how we design it and uh, the both the product and the workflow because it's important that to us that it it's not about immersive media only it is about this is a new way of creating in the, in general in the world and it it should speak hmm. to all artists and all storytellers
0: okay uh that's i'm glad i asked that question and so is is he and again please indulge me the the benefits of working in volumetric so say you're you're capturing some real footage maybe you're making a documentary you can then in uh, as you said on a a regular camera then you can input that into the depth kit um, system and from from there is it that you you get uh what is it that you what what are the key benefits that gives you that, that provides you as a an artist or as a storyteller what is it that you're you're gaining by yeah. by doing that
1: um, yeah, that's a very good question. So the the, the way it, it works is there's kind of a, um, uh, if you think about it, like the first step is the capture, capturing, which is, um, uh, mm-hmm. uh, DevCAD in general is just a software tool. Um, and so when I keep saying like the idea that it works with off-the-shelf hardware, um, in the capture process, you can use either a depth sensor alone. So just what we call it a, a sensor only or sensor capture Workflows, so something like an the Connect, Azure Connect, or Intel RealSense depth sensor, um, and, or uh, we have um, a way that we call a, a cinematic capture workflow, which lets you, which people that work in, in film and um, cinematographers really like, which is a way to pair this depth sensor to your cine, you know, your cinema camera. So if you're like whatever type of camera you normally shoot with, we have a way to pair them. Um, together, so essentially, you can imagine them sort of like uh, a rig that, like, they're sitting on top of each other and calibrated to be looking at the same subject matter. Um, and then what that does is basically uh, it goes into depth. We take the the depth data, and then we can take the you know either the um, the color the color data and the the resolution from this camera pair, this external camera that's, as I said, could be whatever Like, uh, 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 is your camera of choice, or we take it from the sensor as well. The sensors shoot in 4K, the Azure Connect shoots in 4K. So basically you can have, um, uh, and why that's important is uh, you have, both of these forms of data it's like we're talking about depth data and then the color you know the, the video color data and resolution and what our software does and the reason we can do this accessible uh, high quality but still cheap and accessible is our what we do is we will um, um, uh, basically match the level of quality and color of the of this camera. Um, and bring the, the the depth data up to that level. We we call it like a you know up-resing or super resolution, and we do this. We have a refinement algorithm, algorithms that just make it look super photoreal and um, high quality. Um, and then the other side of it is, and um, after that is um, kind of what our value add and what I think people like about DepthKit is. We're a tool that is all about creative expression, so um, we 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 make the the export formats are just videos, so you can export them into After Effects and and use them. You can ex- go and work in a game engine and uh, also work with the the same the same exact capture just naturally works in all the different um, platforms because of you know our plugins and the, our integrations and our export formats. Um, so like, for example, if you're a filmmaker that wants to do both a, f- a 2D film and like a, a VR extension, You can just do one shoot, and it will work in both. And you know, um, for example, or if you're a VFX specialist, um, uh, why this is interesting is um, uh, currently in you know a lot of uh, there isn't a way right now in the VFX industry to have uh, video, moving video, human performance in 3D that you can actually work in 3D tools like Houdini or. for Maya, for example, like you actually are using motion capture, which is just capturing motion. So it's it's the difference of just capturing motion to actually working with a human performance in three D. And So obviously, VFX industry for them, they can do. You know, these are these are the masters of working in three D. Um, even if the output in the end is a feature film or two D, but they're they're this is their like this is their where they're the most they're the most literate pe- world people in the world. Uh, you know, experts when it comes to working with three D material. And um, the the last bit I'll say is um, our approach is about um, um, you know it's not about just like realism or photoreal. It's about building a whole new aesthetic language, and so um, uh, Death Kit is all about um, we you know we ourselves release looks or effects that you can. Leverage to um, kind of uh, stylize your 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 projects, your assets, or um, you can do it yourself. You know, we plug in, as I said, with different tools, and um, I think that's the most important thing. We want to say that either in documentary or in VR, or even you know, nonfiction or fiction, that we can. It just doesn't always have to look like photoreal. We, you can you can completely change the aesthetic range, aesthetic spectrum, because it is a creative tool. It is about self-expression, and um, it's we need that flexibility. So I would say um, th- that's not volumetric capture. That's DepthKit specifically, but um, uh, the 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 capture side of it is what volumetric capture is. But with DepthKit, we also we call it actually like a creative tool for a new creative medium because for us it's a larger um, it's a larger mission that we're trying to achieve and we're building more and more tools as part of DeathKit Kit to achieve that larger vision that's just beyond just the, the capture.
0: You're listening to Film Disruptors and I'm in conversation with storyteller Yasmin Alayat. If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Tell me about Zero Days and that particular project, which I understand ended up winning an Emmy.
1: <laughs> yes, we, we, well <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes, it won the, the news and documentary Emmy, uh, for original approaches last year. But, um, yeah, I can tell you about Zero Days. Zero Days was the first, uh, project that came out of Scatter as this hybrid, you know, reincarnation, um, after I joined, um, uh, you know, the, the, the history or the origin story is quite interesting, where I, I may have mentioned that Alex Gibney, you know, who's a prolific Academy Award winning director, um, was working on the feature called Zero Days, which um, is a documentary film that uh, tells the story of um, it, talk, you know, it explores cyber war and sort of like the geopolitical kind of tensions and 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 you know the current state of affairs around the rules and regulations and lack thereof around cyber war. But specifically, it tells the story of the Stuxnet virus, which is the first cyber weapon that we know of in history um, that can cause that we're aware of that can cause real world physical destruction. And it was built um, to. Uh, allegedly, allegedly built by the United States and Israel to um, attack Iran's nuclear uh, infrastructure, specifically this uh, nuclear facility called in Natanz, um, and this was before the like nuclear deal was was struck. So, sort of like a kind of in the back, da- back you know door sort of. Uh, um, and obviously neither country has acknowledged it it's Iran is accusing the countries but um, through leaks and um, sources on, on you know anonymous NSA sources we do know that, that both countries um, you know built it. It's a very sophisticated weapon and what's phenomenal about it and you know I'll talk about our adaptation of the project is uh, the, what's phenomenal about Stuxnet is um, it's um, it's built to attack critical infrastructure and it's built to do something very simple is to target a something called a PLC it's a computer that's usually powers things like you know dams and grids power grids nuclear facilities you know and it's a very it's a it's in all these these the these computers are connected to the internet and why this is interesting especially urgent for Americans or you know for everyone but specifically why this was very um, uh, this story really resonated with me was because you know America' is the most connected country in the world and so it's so dangerous that this kind of um, virus exists and it can so easily take down or attack a nuclear facility, but it can also shut down the power grid in New York. You know, we had a blackout here on Saturday for five hours, and that the, the cost of a blackout for five hours. Imagine twenty-four hours, and especially for a city like New York. Um, and the in this in the feature film, um, Alex Gibney has this character, this NSA informant, who uh, represents. You know, these. Uh, you know, he wanted to to rep to anonymize this key character, and. Um, he wanted to do it in a way that was, in, as I said, like native to the language of code that felt right to the story and the subject matter. And so he used DepthKit to, to, to anonymize this informant. So she's a very digitized. Very kind of like you know using like these computational methods. She looks like a very digitized person, and but she's has you know she's in three D, so she looks like a person. And um, he did you know he worked with my collab, my business partner Alex uh, Porter, Alexander Porter, and the two Alexes in a room figured out the aesthetic and the camera moves, and you know they they were working through using Death Kit to to build it. And um, the film came out a year earlier than our project. Um, what happened essentially is you know we have this NSA character that's already shot, as I mentioned, it's already shot in 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 3d and depth kit. And it's built, it's built in a way that's native, uh, for virtual reality. And, um, we were starting this company. And so we already had this shoot and this asset. And, um, we, uh, we basically talked to Ox Gimney and told him, you know, he, we made a prototype, we we spent a night making this prototype on a Samsung Gear headset, showed it to him, and he was like, you know, he was like, this is great, you guys, you guys have to do this, you know, you have to adapt this to VR, it totally makes sense to tell this story in VR. And, um, and so he became our executive producer, but, um, and he helped us option the rights from Participant. And, um, but it, we had complete creative freedom to sort of reinvent what this, how, you know what would our adaptation look like? And in the feature film, you know, Alex Gibney says something that um, really stuck with me, which he said, how do you make a documentary where the lead character is Code or where Code could speak for itself? And um, in our documentary, we could, in our adaptation, that was like the inspiration. It was like, oh, we, we can completely Completely invent and design these intangible digital worlds, and you can. We can tell the story from the perspective of Stuxnet on its mission to sabotage this, you know, Iranian nuclear facility. And so, in Zero Days VR, um, you are the Stuxnet virus, and you travel between these, as I said, this kind of cyber and digital world. Um, you travel to Natanz, and you know the heart of the facility to learn how Stuxnet works. You um, uh, learn how Stuxnet operates in these kind of like, kind of like, you know, the underbelly of this kind of computer world. Um, you. Uh, uh, you also meet the NSA informant. She's obviously our, our key character, um, and it's all narrated um, through um, sort of the cyber experts. So the people who uh, were learn going through kind of like the breadcrumbs, the digital breadcrumbs in the Stuxnet virus, and learning through the comments, through the code, like learning how it works. And you're kind of um, travel, as I said, like learning how this all works, and kind of uh, kind of like a discovery kind of way, Um, um, while Stockton is operating, you're hearing from the experts how it actually all unfolded. Um, And it was also important for, for, for me in this project that we We juxtapose both the, you know, this insider story that's being told by cyber experts and this NSA source This on, you know, she's a, um, spoiler alert, (laughs) but she's an amalgamate character. She actually is um, an actress who represents uh, the anonymous testimony of several NSA informants that um, uh, Gibney and Jigsaw were trying to protect. And so uh, her testimony is this amalgamation of their testimonies. And... um, uh, so that's the insider story. And that's like what happened. And however, there is the official public story, which, um, you know, like, as I said, the United States and Israel do not acknowledge any involvement in the, in this weapon, even. And then uh, obviously, Iran is accusing the United States and having their own cyber, you know, attacks back. And uh, the we had this kind of the other side of the story, which is the official stance. And so we use like uh, archival footage, we'd use press, um, you know, uh, clips and we'd have, you know, government officials from all these nations sort of, you know, uh, share their story. So we're using a mix of archival footage to share that story and then, you um, you kind of then enter our our digital insider story to sort of hear the behind the scenes insider story, and that was the approach we took for the adaptation. And um, it was a very different way, obviously, of experiencing this because we are we're, it's a creative nonfiction piece. We completely imagined what um, these worlds could look like. Uh, Stuxnet is a character; it has a a body. It's not just code, you know. Um, it, it it is a thing. It looks like a, it was actually. Built as a in generative generative graphics, so gen, it, our our that character, which is code, is actually built in a generative code system, which is poetic if you're a nerd like myself. Um, and 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 then yeah, and and the whole world. I mean, what we collaborated with. Um, uh a wonderful group of the team was amazing uh we had an amazing design director on the project Uh, we worked with g-monk and michael wrigley and then uh for sound we worked with ant food and you know everything about this project was like the an amazing team but um and then yeah and then it did well it went it premiered at sundance It what released on oculus oculus was the our funders for the our for the project, um, participants, um, uh, media were like, uh, you know, EPs as well. Um, and really closely worked with them. And, um, it was just a phenomenal team and it, it, it went well. And now it's like distributed around the world. And, um, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's, uh, it came out in 2017 and it's been doing the rounds. And as I said, won an Emmy in 2018, which was very exciting for all of us. And, um, it, what's interesting to me now that I'm speaking to you, I'm realizing uh, it's another one of those projects where, you know, I'm directing zero days and, uh, part of, there was a lot of things that were new and interesting in the approach to that project, um, where, um, you know, at the time we, uh, uh, we, I mean, we can get into that in, in, in a moment, but it was simply like, just like, uh, as someone who, this is my first VR documentary, like I've never worked in VR at the, at, before this, before Zero Days run So a lot of it was like learning, you know, there's no design discipline, nothing to stand on when it comes to this work. And so you could do anything. So uh, cameras, cameras can be an experiential tool. They can be, you know, and, and there's a lot of playing with cameras, with perspective, playing with um, uh, how worlds transition, uh, you know, like everything was sort of like, we just like kind of ha- built a whole new land language and experientially visually and uh, programmatically so it was it was a, a it was a you know a project i'm very proud of and from a subject matter i realize uh it, it probably helped that i have a computer science degree <laughs> because i under i could you know i understood what these experts were saying and i'm realizing now that that's probably why i fell in love with this as a project <laughs> as
0: well <laughs> it's, a, it's a perfect project for you <laughs> it's obviously. A <laughs> it's, it's a game things uh, seem to aligned um I, well, I think what's really uh, what I find really fascinating and really I- important about that is that it was only because the you had the original uh, material captured in game engine or you know, volumetrically, yeah, which in depth exactly, which meant, but then you could repurpose it and have this. Have this whole other interpretation of the same source material, and that's, I think, that's a really powerful point for artists, but also, I mean, in terms of in terms of commercial exploitation, in terms of making a sustainable business as a as a storyteller or as a as a production house, being able to pivot and and use the material for multiple um, multiple, you know. Creations is is a whole new opportunity.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's uh, it's true. I mean it, it wasn't it wasn't as I said completely intentional. A lot of this sort of organically happened, uh, in, but it, it was aligned. And I guess uh, it's kind of the theme of my life. But um, yes, it, it's um, it it made it. That's where things started connecting. It just made sense, and now we started also having an industry that was you know, when we talked about the web and kind of the ecosystem that's missing there, VR, or at least immersive media, there's the people were are now investing. You had funders, you had distribution, you start, you know, even if it's still new and still being, uh, it's still, you know, in a, a nascent market. And even if it's still not figured out and, you know, there's still a ways to go. Um, I think it's sort of making, it's not just us and our business. It also, because of this unique skill set in this room, like in, you know, when I say this room, I meant like we were literally in a basement, uh, in Bushwick, you know, uh, and, uh, this unique skill set and background, but also the fact that this ecosystem was also starting to really get built and rise. And, um, it's a mix of, as I said, like now being an artist and also an entrepreneur, seeing these two opportunities, it's just kind of, uh, started to make sense. And so the business started to make sense. And, um, and that was the beginning. And now we're like, we're a we're team of, of 12, you know, and we, you know, we're growing and uh, releasing and making more work and more projects and more content. It's
0: mm-hmm. exciting. And while well, we're coming to the end of our time, I want to, I'm sure you have, <laughs> you have uh, projects to be, to be uh, getting on with as well. Um, but I wanted to ask uh, a cup. Well, one final question, which has two two aspects, I suppose. it, it, it was it's really advice for storytellers, uh, particularly emerging storytellers. And the first part of a question, I guess, would be: What would you say if you were? Um, what do you, what do you say to storytellers when they ask about depth kit and volumetric? And what do you say in terms of persuading them or suggesting why they might give that a try and the second part of the question is what's your advice for a storyteller you're a storyteller yourself you you're also an entrepreneur if someone's coming into the field today who want to they want to tell stories they're passionate they have a they're passionate about telling stories what would you say to that person uh what advice would you give
1: yeah i mean for um the first part of the question which is what would i say to filmmakers um you know who are interested in volumetric filmmaking or or depth kit um i actually would say that they there's nothing to shy away from it's it's it is built for you you are like the goal is to have the the best storytellers in the world work in whichever medium they prefer and so um you know as i as i said this this is a um, if you want to move into the immersive space, this is a great bridge. It's a bridge technology for the immersive space. And, um, you know, uh, and if it's, if it's, um, you want to introduce a new type of, let's say way of animating or a new way of making documentary, or a new way of like capturing people for feature films or for music videos, it, it's just a new, uh, uh, tool, you know, tool set in your belt. And I would say that actually it's built for th- these artists. They are the leaders and we want the leaders of leading storytellers to, to use depth and, and show us what's possible like we want them to lead us and we actually see anybody who is a deaf user creator or filmmaker we see them as a collaborator we actually call our community we don't say users we call them our collaborators because we learn so so much um, about where a creative tool like this needs to go because only artists can shape it and build it um, not technologists you know Um, and then I guess the second you know, to my advice for, you know, just storytellers or emerging storytellers, um, I mean, uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm an advisor for Sundance New Frontier Lab now, you know, on the other side of it, <laughs> now I'm a mentor. Um, and the thing that I find interesting and maybe because I'm an advisor for, um, artists that are moving into a new space for them, which is this new media space. And, um, I, I the thing, the first thing I notice is, um, because it feels like foreign to them and, you know, very, especially the technology can be intimidating, intimidating, um, uh, uh, part of, you know, The one thing I guess I I, I feel like I always need to say to them is that um, I need to not tell you how you should tell your story. And um, the thing is, a lot of artists already have a very strong voice. They already have a practice. Um, And even if it's different or doesn't seem to translate to the XR or immersive space, if you allow yourself to trust your practice and your voice and how you want to tell the story, the tech can follow very easily because you will bring something new. You're going to bring something new to the conversation. You'll innovate. And, um, you know, that's true of my own experience. You know, um, I think I've said, um, maybe I've said this repeatedly, but I I believe in a process. The process itself is the innovation. In in doing so, you have to embrace that you're, you know, the work is always a, a work in progress. And. If you, I believe, I really do believe if you know what you're making or building from the start, then you're not doing this right at all. Like you should actually let the process surprise you, um, take risks and be open to and diverge, iterate and then converge. And, you know, to what finally feels right. And that's that's what I truly believe. And it's like a rinse and repeat kind of process. And you will end up somewhere new uh, that you didn't expect at all. But it'll it'll be beautiful. And it's the best incarnation of your vision. Um, and, um, yeah, especially for this space, is so undefined, it's young market, it's immature and the ecosystem is still being figured out. So there's no rules to stand on or others to learn from. It's really up to people leveraging their voice and their discipline and unique de- background, unique background to just define it and shape it. Um, and that's what I would say to them. <laughs>
0: So that was my conversation with artist and entrepreneur Yasmin Allied. If you want to find out more about Yasmin or any of the guests on the show, listen to other episodes or get in touch, you can do all of this at alexstoltz.com. So that's it for this episode. I'd like to say thank you again for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon. Future of Film Summit is taking place at BFI Southbank on 26th of November, and tickets are now on general sale at futureoffilm.live. Film has undergone massive disruption in recent years, and the old business models and structures are just not working anymore. But there are now incredible new opportunities too. Transformative technologies cutting-edge commercial strategies and creative techniques that are literally revolutionizing the entire film ecosystem. Future of Film and Summit is designed for filmmakers, producers and industry who want to understand these shifts and learn how to incorporate them into their creative and business practice. The Summit will feature incredible world-class speakers from across film, tech and interactive, including creative players behind works like Star Wars Episode 9, Ad Astra and Black Mirror Bandersnatch. And that includes visionary designer Alex Madow, VFX Legend, Tim Webber, and award-winning artist Karen Palmer. But the summit is not just about big Hollywood movies and TV shows. It's about independent filmmakers taking advantage of these same tools and techniques, and how, you and they can unlock new forms of finance and brand funding. There are also hosts of exciting hands-on learning opportunities with demos of the latest tech, including the chance to experience Magic Leap and intensive workshops on virtual production, well-building and much more. And if that's not enough, we will be hosting the Brand Pitch Create competition where you can pitch your project to a panel of brand funding experts. So that's Future of Film Summit, 26th of November. More information and tickets available now at futureoffilm.live. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to be part of shaping the future of film.